When I was growing up in Los Angeles County, sometimes we would go south to see my grandparents in Ramona, where my grandfather preached, and then not far from there was the city of Escondido, where my mother's closest sister lived. I was the second grandchild born in to my mother's family. She was the oldest, and I have an older sister. And her sister started having children as well. We would go down to Escondido, and for a person that was raised in a place where the sidewalk never ended, and that's really true in, in Los Angeles. You just go into a different town, but you never leave the street. We would go down to Escondido, and that was the closest thing that we knew to country living. My aunt and uncle had a little place there, and they had rabbits and chickens. And I remember one spring going out with my aunt's father-in-law, Joe Bill Wilson, to get two baby turkeys that they named Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I'll just let you decide what they did with them. And they had a little place they called the canyon down in the back, and we would swing from a rope down in this little area. But the reason why I was thinking about that was thinking about the song that Jonathan led. Because my, my cousin, Carissa, who was a little bit younger than me, used to sing that song all wrong. She would sing, I will work. I will play. <laughs> and we did play church when we were kids down at my grandparents' house. They had a den, and I remember, I remember wood siding, a tan wood siding in that little house that they had. And I always remember that I wanted to lead the song, uh, When We Walk With the Lord in the Light of His Word. What a glory He sheds on our way. I have good memories. I was thinking about the fact that kids play church, and Carissa wanted to work and play in the vineyard of the Lord. But I wonder sometimes if some adults haven't stopped playing church. What is being a member of the Lord's church really all about? Well, first and foremost, it's about understanding that the church itself was purchased with the precious blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He purchased it with his own blood, Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. When he made that promise, I will build my church, and the gates of death would not prevail against it, he himself was willing to die so that it could be established. What that tells me is that I also ought to be willing to die for the church. We're really blessed. Here we are tonight on a beautiful Tuesday evening, and we get to walk in this building, and we don't have to worry really about someone coming through the back doors and harming us or hurting us or telling us that I can't preach the gospel and you can't listen to it and be encouraged by it and that you can't obey it, come forward and be immersed in water for the remission of your sins and have your, your place on, in the Lamb's Book of Life. We're really blessed. But there are countries where I have friends that work where they have to check with the government to see whether or not they can do certain things. And then I have a friend that has written me letters about places where they were literally hiding while men with machine guns were looking for them. Can you imagine that? So it's kind of a, an interesting topic tonight when we talk about what do I owe the church or what's my responsibility in the church. 
Well, I was raised to believe that everything was my responsibility in the church. That anything that I could possibly do for the Lord, that's what I was supposed to do. That I was supposed to die, if need be, for the church because Jesus died for the church. But I think in order for us to understand how it's really supposed to work from me to you and you to me, and then, of course, between us and God, I think about uh, a story of a very famous pianist by the name of Paderewski who was getting ready to have a, a concert where people had paid a lot of money to see his talents. And there was a young man in the audience, about nine years old, who got fidgety before the master came out to play. And he broke away from his mom, and he got up on the front, and he started playing chopsticks on the piano in front of all these people. Well, instead of doing anything to stop him from do it, doing it, the master came out and he began to play around the boy and they turned into a duet and the boy kept playing and he began to kind of pause and Paderewski just said keep going boy keep on going and of course everyone applauded they played really a perfect piece together spirit of cooperation another true story about piano playing happened in an old folks home here in the United States, where there were two ladies, one by the name of Margaret and the other by the name of Ruth. And both of them had been accomplished pianists at one time, but they had both suffered a stroke. Margaret actually lost the use of her left side and can only use one hand. Ruth, the right side, and can only use the other hand. And so one of the directors put them together and encouraged them to play the piano together. And they did. And the people would come out and they would listen. I think the church is supposed to work like that. Where there is a spirit of unity and of love and a purpose. A purpose that is greater than ourselves. I can't think of anything that has a higher purpose, has a more noble call than being a member of the body of Christ. We actually have a message, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that is the most powerful and most important message that can ever be proclaimed. And I know that over the years we have said that, well, there are kind of three basic works for the church. One is evangelism, one is edification, and another benevolence. But I think that edification and benevolence take a back seat to evangelism. I think those things are important, and we're going to talk a little bit about our giving, and we're going to talk a little about, a bit about building each other up in the church. But the number one goal of the church is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Because everyone deserves the opportunity to know the most beautiful story ever told. And the plan of salvation and the love of God, that's the transforming story. If you have your Bibles tonight, turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to talk about the spirit and impact of cooperation which is exactly what God wants in every facet of our lives. We need it at school, we need it at work, we need it in society, but especially, and above all, we need it in the church. Other places are going to fail us, but we never need the church to fail us. It seems no small question or matter that if every Christian, once they become a child of God, becomes a part of the family of God, then just as we've been talking about being a functional part of a physical family, we should be desirous of understanding being a functional part of our spiritual family, the church. What am I supposed to do? 
Who is going to direct me to my responsibilities? 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, before we read Ephesians chapter 4, I'll just mention this. Paul said to Timothy, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. There is proper conduct for us in the church. He says the house of God in another place. He tells them, you are God's house. So we're really not talking about how we're supposed to behave while we're in the building. We're talking about how we're supposed to be every single day of the week. Real church work doesn't just take place on Sundays, folks. That's when we worship. That's when we're called to worship. The work that goes on is really every other part of the week. So Ephesians chapter 4, I want to begin in verse 11, where he says there, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For what purpose? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or a complete man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Isn't that a beautiful run of words there that Paul offers to us that explains a great deal about what God is, has intended for the church? So each one of us needs to realize there's a proper way to conduct ourselves in the church and that nothing is going to happen unless we do something. I've had some realizations, I guess, in my middle years. Some of you would still consider me young. My kids think that I'm old, so I guess I'm in the middle. But in my middle years, I have some appreciation for how blessed we are because we are standing on the shoulders of some spiritual giants, many of them who have already passed on. You know, this congregation right here at some point was organized by someone. This building had to be built by someone. Blood, sweat, and tears, if you will, to make it take place. Not just the building to be constructed and the land to be donated or given, but also the preaching of the gospel to give people a reason to enter it. I'm not interested in entering any building that doesn't preach the gospel. It doesn't matter how beautiful the building itself is. So there are a lot of things that come together in order for a church to be established in a local community. When I was back in New Zealand a few years ago, I got to go back to Nelson. Nelson was a place where my grandfather went to plant the church. And we went to Brother Maisie's farm. Now it's about 15 or 20 minutes outside of Nelson, New Zealand. And uh, it's in the country. And it's a beautiful farm, not anything like the farms you see here. Everything about the foliage is different there. And the sky is blue, the bluest sky you've ever seen. They say because for some reason the biggest hole in the ozone layer is above New Zealand. I guess all, of our, our, uh, all the gases that, that made that happen kind of drifted over into <laughs> New Zealand when it got into the air. But it's a beautiful, beautiful country. And even on that farm, my grandfather once saw a kiwi in the wild. Now, that's very rare to see. Hardly is that ever seen, and they only come out at night. 
but a beautiful farm. But on that farm where Brother Maisie still lives, Robert Maisie's in his 90s, mid-90s, is a sawmill. And that was the very sawmill where the wood was cut to build the Nelson Church of Christ. This small community of people, maybe five or ten men together with their wives and beginning to grow families, decided to plant a church there. And that church still stands to this day. In order for that church to keep on going because the gospel is not prevalent in New Zealand, because most people are they're atheists or they're agnostic. They don't think they have a need for God. They're not really even interested in talking about the Bible. It's a very difficult area to work and continue the church. And so even today, measures are being made or trying to be made so that that church continues to operate. Just a very small community of people now that once 50 years ago was thriving. But the point is that someone made Pippin happen. Someone made Nelson, New Zealand happen. What are we doing to make the church happen in our community? What are we doing to secure the future of the church? Now we see, of course, Paul writing to the Ephesian church, an individual body in a universal kingdom. Many people don't understand that the epistles were written for particular churches. They were written for a purpose. They had content that was specific to help with the problems and needs of those particular churches. What we have the benefit of doing in reading the New Testament letters to the churches is seeing really almost every different scenario that may enter the church in which we are now a part and then have biblical principles to live by so that we can operate the church according to the will of God. Isn't it wonderful to have these letters? If we didn't have the New Testament epistles, how would we conduct the church? How would we know how to worship? How would we know to solve problems? What about uh, moral issues, how they're to be handled, how they're supposed to be disciplined? All of these things are found in the pages of the New Testament. And what I have to tell you, and the reason why I say this is, we know what we're supposed to do as Christians because it's right here for us in the pages of God's Word. It should not be confusing. It just takes a person time and study to find out what God's will is for them in the kingdom of God. And if we can find that out through investigation, then we can also find out individually for ourselves what our responsibilities are in the church of which we are a part. I think it's important for every Christian to know, and they were expected, that once they obeyed the gospel, they ought to be an active, productive, fruitful, participating member of a local congregation. Why follow the pattern of one thing, like worship of the church or this plan of salvation, and not follow the rest? So tonight, if you are not a Christian, today is the day. Okay, Tonight is the night for you to obey the gospel of Christ. There's no reason why that you would want to wait any longer when... Like the song says that we're going to sing at the end of this lesson, you need to prepare to meet your God. You have absolutely no guarantees of tomorrow. Tomorrow may never come. We cannot boast about it. But if you are a Christian, then you need to get involved in a local congregation. You need to be organized according to the pattern given to us by the apostles in the New Testament. We actually have things that we owe to the church. And that's what I was saying before. It's kind of hard to just come up with this is item one, this is item two, this is item three. But those things are in there, and we're going to discuss them. But the bottom line is, I owe it all to the church. I owe everything to the church. I owe more to the church and to God than I owe to anyone else. Not everyone is going to be a located preacher who receives a salary. Most of us are going to be working in the regular world, I guess we'd say, right? Making a salary doing something else. But if you think your job is more important than the church, you are mistaken. 
if you think that something going on in some social club in your community that does a good work is more important than the church, then you are mistaken. Because the church and the church alone is the only thing, the only entity which God has called all people into that Jesus is going to come and save in the last day. If you're not a member of the body of Christ, you're not a part of the family of God, and God's only going to bring his family home one day to live with him. So do we understand just how important the church is? I hope that we do. I found some points, some outlines from some other gospel preachers studying for this lesson, things that they had talked about that they believe we owe our local congregation. First of all, loyalty, to carry out every good work, to help other congregations in special efforts, but I shouldn't neglect my home congregation. Dependability. I'm depending on it for many things it does for me. The question is, is it not fair and right for it to depend on me for the things it wants to accomplish? I owe it my financial support. I owe it my presence. I owe it the influence of a godly life. These are the sum of things that were brought forth by other ministers in the church. Responsibility has been defined as opportunity plus ability. Opportunity plus ability. Everyone knows Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. Therefore, as we have been given opportunity, let us do good to all men, but especially to those of the household of faith. We have responsibility to our brethren because of the unity that we share as members of a family. So, as a member of that family, when I have the opportunity and the ability to do certain things, that equals responsibility. In fact, we ought to be taking initiative, initiative to do work in the church. We shouldn't be like those men in the book of Matthew that Jesus talks about that were standing idle in the marketplace, waiting for someone to hire them. Why are you standing idle? The master says, well, because no one's hired us. Sometimes I think that's the approach that we take to Christianity. Well, if nobody asks me to do anything, I'm just going to do nothing. Folks, we've already been asked by Jesus to go and to work and to do. We shouldn't have to be given some type of initiation to try and encourage us to do something. We should have to be held back so that someone else could have a chance to get in our way and do something for the Lord. That's the way I, I think it's supposed to work. I want to go back to something I talked about last night in the family, and that was that I get to do premarital counseling. And I get to talk to young couples about what they expect in marriage, talk about certain pitfalls that they may deal with once they enter into a family, and hopefully how to be somewhat prepared for those pitfalls. So we talk about money issues. We talk about mixing families and family traditions. We talk about, of course, faith. We, we talk about how many children they want to have, and do they agree about that, and disciplining those kids. And I could go on and on with the different things that we talk about. But one of the questions I ask is, what do you expect to get out of this relationship? And then, what do you expect to give? It can't just be one thing. It can't just be getting. And we mentioned this on Sunday, that the approach that people often take now to religion, to Christianity, to the church is they will maybe go into a community and they'll go through the doors of that building and they'll see how they feel, how it makes them feel, whether or not um, it's conducive to what they think it ought to be. Is it comfortable? Are the people friendly? 
Do I get a message that touches me or, or emotionally lifts me up? I understand that to some degree, but do we not understand that Jesus made us to be servants? And that if we're really going to be members of the body of Christ the way that Jesus designed it, we don't think about what's coming to us. We think about what we can do for God. God's already done everything for us. And that's the major problem that we're dealing with in the church if it's not growing, is that people don't think they're supposed to serve. And they're supposed to give all for the Lord. So what do we expect to get? What do we expect to give? Here's some things that people expect to get. You know, we should expect certain things. Like when you came through the doors of this building tonight, you should expect that what I tell you is the gospel of Christ. If you don't get that, I need to be removed from the pulpit. And if you don't get that, you have every right and even responsibility not to listen to what I have to say. There are certain things that you should deserve to get. So the truth to be preached and taught by not just the preacher, but everyone who teaches every Bible class, that there would be good leadership, that it would be scripturally organized with elders and deacons, if possible, in the local congregation, that the fellowship of the membership would be friendly and kind and helpful. Something happens when people enter into a church for the first time in the community. When my dad passed away, my mom had to make a decision um, about what she was going to do, and she ended up leaving the house, selling the house, and moving into another community, oh, about an hour away. So guess what she had to do? She had to look for a home congregation. Now, that's not something that we have done a lot of in the past, but something really happens to you when you come into a new community and you have to look for a congregation. Folks, if there is a visitor that comes into our assembly, we ought to be in a race to see who gets to them first, to tell them how glad we are that they're there. My mom told me that she went into one congregation, that she tried to be out there to kind of put herself out there to at least say hello. No one looked at her. Everyone turned the different direction. She sat down. She stayed afterwards. She wandered around in, uh, in the back, in the, in the vestibule there. She was probably there 20 minutes after services, and no one ever recognized her. Now, do you think that she felt good about coming back to that congregation? Now, mind you, we have, we have the luxury of choices. We have the luxury of choices. I, I sometimes feel sorry for people in the South that you have the luxury of a choice for a church. Because you know what happens? We don't like how things are going. We kind of fold our arms. Somebody hurt our feelings. We're going to hop over to the other spot. And that's kind of sad. Because where I came from, you would have to go two hours. And so guess what? You get over it. And you work out problems. Because there was not another scriptural church for a two-hour drive. And sometimes I think that's a real benefit to us. We're a little spoiled rotten. We don't like things. We get our feelings hurt. We feel like there are cliques in the church. You know, I don't think there should be cliques in the church, but there were even, in a sense, cliques in the apostleship. Jesus did call some close to him for certain purposes. You know, why do we worry about things like that? We just need to get to work. There's a whole lot of social interaction that goes on that sometimes is overcoming the work that we're supposed to be doing for the church. It's great that we can fellowship and be kind and good to each other, but the bottom line is every single person who's a member of the body of Christ has a responsibility to the future generation 
to make sure that that body keeps on going. So I want to say to everyone who is older than me tonight, thank you. Thank you. Everyone who is older than me. Uh, to the rest of you younger people, we, you need to pay attention to these older people because a lot of these folks have lived their entire lives to make sure that the church continues to grow in the community. They've taught Bible classes. They've built buildings. They've been involved in gospel efforts. They have opened up the doors of the building every Sunday and come 30 minutes early and stayed 30 minutes late. They've made their life about the service of the church, and that's what makes the church great. What else do we expect? Well, I think we expect that a church will help others and be benevolent, that a church will teach the gospel to the lost, that uh, they will have and be comprised of members who are trying faithfully to follow God. Has this ever happened to you? And I, I, I hate to think that I might be this person. Here's one of the things that scares me to death. What people say when I'm not in the room, okay? What do other people say about me when I'm not in the room? What do people really think about you? You know what? It's what they say when you're not there, right? I wish to God the gift to give me to see myself as others see me. What kind of person am I really? How do I come across to the world? Do I represent, for example, the Willow Avenue Church of Christ, of which I am a part, do I represent that in a way that would make other people want to be a part of that church? Think about that. And is there someone in our local congregation who we really don't want other people to know to even worships with us? <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? That'd be terrible, wouldn't it? We wouldn't want that. I want another thing. I want to tell you another thing. You may be a member here at Pippin or at Willow or another congregation. Here's another thing you should feel about your home congregation, that it's the best, that it's absolutely the best. If you're a member here at Pippin, then Pippin is the best church in Putnam County. Amen? Oh, come on. You guys can do better. I'm at Pippin. <laughs> Pippin is the best church in Putnam County. Amen? Amen. Amen. If those, that came from people from Pippin. If you're from Willow, you're not supposed to say that. Okay? Because for me, Willow Avenue is the best church in Putnam County. You know why that's important? Because... My home congregation deserves that I feel ownership over it, that I feel like it is a part of me and I'm a part of it. One of the reasons why Paul was so powerful is that when he talked about the gospel, he didn't just, about, just talk about it as the gospel of Christ. He called it my gospel. He felt ownership over it. It had been given to him stewardship over the most precious message. And when he preached it, he internalized it, and he, he felt like he had ownership over it. Now, certainly it was God's message. And folks, the Pippin Church and the Willow Church doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. But there is a sense of ownership that we're supposed to have over it and that we have pride in joining the fact that by the grace of God, even though we were sinful, he would allow us to be a part of such a holy organization. I want to talk a little bit about attendance. Everyone knows Hebrews 10. So turn over to Hebrews chapter 10, just real quickly. Everyone knows this passage. Now, when I was growing up, we would, we would have a lot of sermons on these things. There'd be sermons on giving. There'd be sermons on attendance. There'd be sermons on evangelism. Sermons like this. Um, individual members of the body of Christ still owe the same thing to the church they did when I was growing up. They've been owing it to the church since the church began 2,000 years ago. The, the plan hasn't changed. It's very simple. 
The plan of salvation has been the same for 2,000 years. The organization of the church has been the same 2,000 years. And the responsibilities of the church have been the same for 2,000 years. And the reason why is because this has not changed. And it's never going to change. And that's why we can know that we're doing the will of God because the Lord's will is just going to be forever. It's going to stand. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words by no means will pass away. So we have this thing that's a standard that's consistent for us that all the time is going to be true. And you know what sometimes is really depressing to me? When preachers get up in the pulpit and say that they figured something out that other preachers have never figured out before. They've got a new hermeneutic. They've got a new way of interpreting scripture, a new way of looking at the passages that are holy, that are settled in heaven, that come from the Holy Spirit, and they want to say something different about the church. Well, let me tell you something. I'm not going to preach any new message. I'm just going to preach the same gospel that was probably preached here 100 years ago to this generation. And it's going to say something about attendance. In the past, I used to try and guilt people into attendance. When I first started preaching, I, I was taught, of course, raised in the church, we just never missed. For one thing, when your grandfather's the preacher, you know, if he misses, he gets fired. So it makes it real simple for you to go. But why would anyone want to miss? To me, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, those are the three best times of the week. That's when I get to get out of the world and be with my family. That's when I get to get a word of exhortation from the Lord, from someone who loves the Lord, where I get support, when I get help. My, this is where I belong. This is my real family. This is what reminds me of my heavenly hope and the grace of God. Why would I not want to be assembled with the church? I have never understood the fact that church was ever uh, church work, that church service was ever really a chore. It would be a joy. Paul talks about their labor of love. Church work is a labor of love. And so to, uh, the idea of forsaking the assembly here in chapter 10 and verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I was just un under the basic understanding that this, if the church was going to come together, I was going to be there. And it wouldn't matter. Of course, we've been called on the first day of the week. That's been ordained in the scriptures, and that can't change. But after that one meeting by which we come on the first day of the week, if the elders of a local congregation decide that we should meet every night, well, let's meet every night. I mean, you got a gospel meeting going from Sunday to Thursday. Might as well be here every night. After all, the community is going to figure out whether or not you really care about the gospel of Christ as to whether or not you want to hear it yourself. And I want to say, you all have been awesome this week in being here and supporting this and so encouraging to me. You see, I never have to be told to worship because if there's somewhere that I can worship, especially in my local congregation, why would I ever want to miss? And so what is our attendance record? Do we only come on Sunday mornings and never in the evenings? We go to other places at night. Do we miss a few weeks and we don't think anything about it? What about when we're out of town? Do we find somewhere to worship the Lord? There are some people that will never worship once they're out of town. And I remember a few years ago, uh, a gospel preacher wrote an article entitled, God is in Florida too. <laughs> that was pretty good. So yeah, we've worshipped in Florida when our family's on vacation. Why would we ever want to be anywhere else when God comes first and when the church comes first? Here's another thing I think it's interesting sometimes. When we talk about friendliness and we talk about cooperation, we, we had a sermon not very long ago at Willow Avenue, Am I My Brother's Keeper? And, of course, 
The answer to that, I believe, is yes. We need to take care of each other. We need to make sure that we're aware of what's going on. In a congregation of our size, 500 plus now, it's very easy for someone maybe to come and not be recognized and not be known. And I've heard this kind of statement made in the past. Well, nobody even noticed that I was not there. You know what I've thought about? I like to kind of flip that. If no one has noticed when you're not there, then how impactful is your presence? How impactful is your presence? It's not, it's not very hard to fill a pew. We can get mannequins to do that. But it is important to know that if we're members of the body of Christ, then according to our ability, and go back to Ephesians chapter 4, he's given some to do this and some to do that, but by all means we're going to do something for the Lord. I don't know about you, but there's nothing that gives me more pleasure than knowing that I've done something for the Lord and that I've pleased him in my service. A person who's feeble, sinful, that he would let me a part, be a part of the body of Christ and yet he might even let me preach it, that's a hard thing sometimes to even imagine. There was a man who was moving with his family into a new community and a friend asked him what part of the town he was going to live in. And this is what he truly said. He said, well, it depends on where we worship. It depends on where we worship. That's quite a statement, isn't it? He was making the most important decision that he made in entering that new town where he decided to land spiritually. Now, when we came to town, it was pretty much picked out where we were going to worship because my job is to preach at that local place. So our decision was based on the school system. But why did we do that? We did that because we cared about our children. We cared about what they were going to be learning. We wanted them to be successful in the world. So we need to be thinking about these things. We need to be thinking about our financial responsibilities. We need to be talking about being accountable and organizing ourselves under a local eldership. We need to be talking about striving for unity in the church. I have a whole section here on giving that I'm not even going to get into. But that's another thing I think that is innate and we should all understand as a part of the body of Christ. That a person would have to hear a lot of sermons on how much they should give. In the Old Testament, the example, of course, was the tithe. They gave a tithe of everything. They didn't just give 10% of their money, but of everything they owned, they gave a tithe. In Hebrews, it tells us that we have a better covenant built on better promises. So what I was always taught by my grandfather and by people in my family, that a tithe was the bottom. That's where we began. That was the lowest part, that we would take a tenth of what we grossed and that God would get it first. He would get the first fruits. And I've known that and understood that from day one. And every single first day of the week, that's what we're supposed to do. And that's supposed to be the minimum of what we're supposed to do. I know that it's supposed to be a free will offering. I know that nothing that you'd ever give should be on a string. So if you are concerned about how the, the, the dollars or the money is being spent in the church, realize that prayers and consideration go into every dollar that you give. Realize that the local leadership of your congregation is there at any time to listen to your thoughts about how that money ought to be spent. But we have it right there in the pages of Scripture, how it ought to be spent. The majority of it needs to be spent on teaching the gospel to the lost. The majority of it. So we should be pretty free in giving it, knowing that it's going to go to the benefit of other people. Another thing I think we need to understand before we close tonight, two more things I want to talk about. We need to be able to support the leadership. The leadership needs our support. 
it is the most difficult job on the face of the earth to be an elder in the church. It's just hard. <laughs> it's hard. Those of you that have never been elders can only maybe imagine what they go through. Those of you that are elders would probably be too humble to admit what a difficult job you have. The sleepless nights in which you're making decisions that determine the direction of the church when controversy comes, making unpopular decisions that have to be made because maybe a lot of people don't know the truth or somehow something divisive has come into the church and people don't have their heads about them and you've got to keep yours. Making decisions about where money goes, who the preacher's going to be, how the deacons are going to be delegated work, how problems are going to be solved, how individual spiritual situations that you know about that nobody else is ever going to know about is going to be dealt with and counseled. It goes on and on. And elders only have probably 90% of the time problems to fix problems to fix because the church is full of broken people and we've got problems and who do we go to we go to the people that are going to spiritually guide us so in hebrews chapter 13 it tells us that we're to obey those who rule over us as those who will give an account because they're watching over our souls therefore it would be better for you favorable for you that if you would listen to them as hebrews chapter 13 about verse 17 we need to support our local elders I want to tell you something about the elders. The elders are sinners too. They're imperfect people too. In fact, I've thought about the idea of preachers and elders and deacons. They're probably only comprised about 10% of the church. But you know, every single person should live a life that was exemplary of a person who would fill those positions. It doesn't matter whether you're serving in those capacities or some other capacity. We're all called to do the same thing, and that's to live holy lives in the presence of God and be working in the church. We're not supposed to delegate all this work out just to a very small group of people. But there are just some people that are going to have to leave in different capacities, and we're going to have to make sure that we support them. So by all means, support your leadership. Support them. Tell them thank you for all the hours of the meetings that they're having to gather when you're at home and you get to sleep and they have to worry about the problems and the future of the church. It's a hard thing to be an elder. And you know, the only thing that we have to follow elders in is expedient measures. That's really the only decisions they have to make. Because the Bible is set. It's set. The Word of God is already settled. It's right there. The elders just need to make sure that the preacher's preaching it and the folks are obeying it. But they can't change the message. The only decisions elders really ever make are over things that the Bible doesn't talk about, and that's just for the sake of carrying on the work of the church in an organized way. So we're only really obeying them over those expedient measures. We're obeying God over biblical measures, and they're just making sure that that's being preached and taught. Because at the end of the day, we don't answer to the elders. We answer to God. And if we answer to God, guess what we'll do? We'll respect the elders because that's what he's asked us to do. I hope that the church not only wants to have elders and deacons and preachers, but they're excited when they see people live a life that is holy enough to be able to take on that position. The last thing I want to say is we need to have a desire to give to the church as much as our heart loves the Lord. It says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you only know one verse in the Bible, you probably know that one, John 3, 16. But look what it says. God loved, so what? He gave. 
So my response would be, Jeremiah so loved God that he gave what? What did he give? God has simply given everything to us. Every single physical possession that you have, every single spiritual blessing that you have, they've all been given to you by God. There's absolutely nothing that you don't owe him. You owe him your very life. We could talk about other things that, that we owe the church. Um, good morality, friendliness, unconditional support, um, sincerity, our presence, um, a desire to somehow teach others and spread the gospel. But above all things, I think we just we owe the church our life. I regret that I only have one life to live to preach the gospel. I wish I could live for ten generations if I needed to to preach the gospel. It's the most important thing that I know that I could do is to tell people about the saving message of Jesus Christ. I want my children to know that they don't have to grow up to be preachers, but I want them to be Christians. I want them to be workers. I want them to realize right now that what we're doing tonight is more important than anything else we're ever going to do at any other time. There's no ball game that's no important than tonight. There's no schoolwork that you're going to do that's more important tonight. What we're doing tonight is the most important thing we could ever do, and that's being members of the body of Christ. Amen? So here we are, and if we don't go, if we don't get to get here tomorrow night because Jesus comes again, then we should be smiling, right? I, was, I got a call from a friend of mine in California today. He was checking on me. He's the one who helped me get to the Boston Marathon the first time, and he knew that I was, I was gimpy, so he was checking on my ankle. And he was just asking me about life in general. He's one of my best friends, uh, my dad's best friend from growing up. And uh, he's kind of taken a dad role since my dad passed away. But he was asking me about things, and I said, well, Brian, really, to be honest with you, I, we were talking about getting older and raising children, and he was asking about college for the kids and how we're going to financially afford that and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I said, Brian, really, I just hope Jesus comes tonight. He said, you really feel that way? I said, yes, absolutely I feel that way. Why? Because here my wife and I are Christians and our children, the one who's old enough, I guess, has obeyed the gospel. The other two are still safe, but that their day is coming. What else could I want but for me and my family to go to heaven? The only reason why we want to stick around any longer are for any of those people out there, even in this audience tonight, who have not obeyed the gospel. I don't know what God is waiting for, honestly. 2,000 years seems like a long time to wait for people to get around to doing what God wants them to do. But 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, We account that the long-suffering of the Lord is our salvation. He's waited long enough for you. If you're not already a Christian, you need to be one tonight. And you need to give your very life to the one who's given his life for you. So that's the message for tonight. I hope that you can go home and you can rest well. And I hope that you don't wake up in the morning because Jesus has come, you see. And he's taking you home to be with God because you're a part of the family of Christ. If he's willing to do that for you, then you should be willing to do anything for him. So what about it tonight? Are you a member of the body of Christ? If not, understand that Jesus came and died for you, died for your sins, rose from the dead, is interceding at the right hand of God for you. Repent of your sins. Confess his name. Believing him in him and the power that he has to cleanse you from sin because of the power of his blood. And then, of course, be immersed in water for the remission of your sins and be a part of the New Testament church. And if you are a part of the New Testament church, then give everything that you've got to the church. Don't hold back on God. Don't rob God of what he deserves from you. 
and that is everything. Are you subject to the invitation tonight? Do you need to come forward and make things right with God? Won't you come as together we stand and sing?